0: I picked my first sponsor because she was going around like Joyce did this morning. Find a seat. Everybody find a seat. And I liked her, and that was my first sponsor, just like that. (laughs) Um, I'm a very proud member of Al-Anon, and I have been for 24 years. Um, I'm very proud of that because I have never taken a vacation I have been to at least three meetings a week for 24 years without fail. So that tells you a little something about how sick I was. Um, And before I tell you my name, I have to tell you that because that's first in my life. That's my life. Without Eleanor, I wouldn't have one. And because of that, I became a person. And that person's name is Janet. And so my name is Janet. And good morning, thank you. Um, This is not one of my favorite things to do or one of my favorite places to be, and I don't know how it happened, but I'm here. And every time it happens, I'm amazed. And when I'm done, I think, I got that out of the way. I'll never have to do that again. And then, all of a sudden, I'm doing this again. And in the very beginning, I remember telling a friend that I was really nervous and scared and she told me that it, it's okay, that it, it's just like a physic. It feels better afterwards. So, you know, just trust me, you know. And then I heard Pat talk last night, and I heard her talking about going blank, and, and I thought, oh, I just know someday I was, I knew I was gonna go blank and pass out. And my friend said, well, if you do that, don't worry about it. It's out of your hands, we'll just drag you off. So, you know. It didn't matter what I did right or it would be alright, you know. Um, Jack and I were married 37 years last October. Eleanor's been in Pittsburgh 37 years. What I should have done is got married at the church and excused myself from the reception to go to the Eleanor meeting down the street. <laughs> and I didn't do that. It was my first mistake, not going. Uh, When I first came um, into the program, I said something like, well, I came from this nice little family, and we ate dinner together, and I had one brother, and my father came home for dinner, and my mother was there, she didn't work, and it was wonderful. And then after I was in Al-Anon probably about 10 years or more, I discovered I was raised in an alcoholic home. I didn't even know it. Um, When I look back on my childhood, then all I could remember is fixing my mother and father. I was the only one in the family that could fix them. So my mother would tell me to talk to my dad, and I would have to go chase my my dad in the bars and get him out because he wouldn't come out for anybody but me. And this is really what was happening in my childhood. I I think it's because I watched too much television. I didn't have anything else to do. And I I had this fantasy that my, you know, that was wonderful. And I think it was because all my friends were worse. You know, their fathers threw furniture out the picture window and chased each other around with knives and stuff. And we didn't do that at my house, so my house was wonderful in comparison. So I thought it was okay. As a child growing up, I never was touched Um, there was no affection Um, nobody ever said uh, I love you nobody ever hugged you if you cried they'd tell you that's enough you know stop that now so you weren't allowed to feel and uh, Jack said you know we got married young and when I met him that was the first time I found out what it was affection was and um, he liked the touchy affection stuff, see, and, uh, and the hugging. And I didn't know what that, I never had it. And so I started to get it from him, and it was like kind of nice. I thought, I like this kind of stuff myself. And so I learned to be that kind of person that hugged and kissed. Only with him, though, the rest of the people didn't didn't allow me to do that in my own family. Now, the first time I met Jack, I took a look at him, and I knew from just looking at him that he needed me. <laughs> he, he never did anything right. Um, I, I didn't marry him to get him to stop drinking. He was too young. He, was, he wasn't trained yet, let alone drink yet. See. He was too young. So, but he, he didn't have his pants pressed right. He never, his colors never matched. And he had a working mother, so he had to get up by himself in the morning with an alarm clock to go to school. I thought that was a disgrace. And uh, he ate a lot of fast foods because she wasn't there to cook for him. She wasn't there to bake him pies. I was going to do all this stuff, I was going to take care of him, I was going to fix him, he was going to eat properly. And he was going to dress properly and I would see to it we would have a good marriage and I was going to marry him. Well, he didn't know that yet either. I didn't tell him that yet either. He told me that because of his rotten home life, he was getting out of, he was getting out of school. He was going to the service. And I thought to myself, no, you're not. Because I thought we should get married. And, but I knew enough not to say that out loud and tell him that because I didn't know whether, you know, he might not like that. So I thought I'd wait until the time came and it was right. You know, one of the things he said to me is, I want you never, ever to worry about me drinking. I will never drink. And I said, I don't care. So what? You know, my dad drinks, you know. Uh, but my dad was more or less the type of drinker who, when he drank, I liked him because he didn't, he didn't tell me he loved me. He didn't hold me, hug me, kiss me, none of that stuff. But when my dad drank, he did. He would ask me to dance, and we would dance, and he would tell me I was a wonderful dancer because I had long legs like him. I was the only one that could really follow him on the dance floor, so I didn't mind drinking at all. Go for it, you know. And he said, no, no, I'm not going to do it because I've seen what happened to my mother because of what my dad did to her, and don't worry about that. Um, Jack and I did get married, and uh, I guess it was about 14 months later that I decided that I I cared that he drank. It didn't take me long (laughs) to find out. I care now. I don't want him to do this. And so... My one primary purpose was to stop him from drinking and acting up. That was my purpose in life. I accepted the full responsibility of this marriage. I was going to do everything. I was going to make it, and I was going to fix anything that was wrong. And I took that responsibility on. It was mine. So when he was drinking too much, it was my fault. I must not be doing something right. And uh, when I would ask him why he was drinking, and, and see, you have to ask him why he was drinking. He was the one that was doing it. That's where your answer is coming from. He's doing it. So I would ask him, why are you drinking so much? And uh, he would just look at me and say, well, you really want to know. Well, yes, I want to know. That's why I'm asking. It didn't dawn on me he's trying to think of a good answer is what he was doing. <laughs> and he gave me an answer like the kind of answers he always gave me. Um, you know, sometimes when I come home here, you have rollers in your hair, and that always makes me drink. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, I thought that must be it then. And so what I, I made a standing appointment at a beauty shop, for one solid year to get my hair done. I got the owner of the shop to do it and so that every week he could make me a different hairstyle because I knew this was the one that was going to do this. Make him not drink. And I was so busy that year trying to get the right hairdo, I forgot to notice he was drinking more and doing other things. He was so hard to take care of and watch. He was always so... oh, He was always so... He was into so many things. If I could slow the drinking down, maybe he wouldn't get into so much trouble and my life wouldn't be so miserable. It was so hard to be responsible for somebody who you weren't with all the time. I remember when I was with him, uh, I I got to the point where I didn't want to be with him. And when I did have to go out with him, I wanted to do something that would make him not drink too much and one time I had fed him spaghetti and um, after we ate dinner we went out visiting and and someone asked him if he would like a beer that's always the first question Jack would you care for a beer this night he said no she fed me spaghetti tonight and I have no room for beer I found an answer Must have made spaghetti, well I know I made it every time we went out together because that would kind of keep him down before he got into his act. And uh, I must have made it three times a week for years. For years. And all I got was this fat drunk. <laughs> so, I, just, I just bought him a, a mug that says too much sex causes baldness too. So. <laughs> But you know the spaghetti didn't make him quit drinking and it, you know and I, after a while I, I see this is not happening he's not stopping he's not even you know so there's always um, I have to do something I have to do something I was always so frustrated I did things to him that he didn't know that I was doing because he's bigger than I was and I was afraid that you know he might retaliate so When he would do his drinking on his weekend and and not come home, and when Sunday came and it was my day that we were going to be a family because they said on TV, Sunday is family day. That's where I got this. I want family day. So Sunday's our day. We're going to do things together. Now, if I couldn't get him out of bed, with a dust mop. I would try the broom sometimes with the bare legs. I would do anything I had to do to get him up and awake so that I could talk to him because I thought that once I got him awake that he could hear me. as he couldn't hear good, you know. And so once he got up, if I talked to him and explained I would tell him, look in my face and read my lips because, you know, he couldn't hear, you know. i say, today we're going to have fun. Where are we going? We're going to the zoo, you promised me. So if he didn't take us to the zoo and he escaped the house, because sometimes he would go get the car to get ready and then it would be gone. (laughs) So... And so what I would do is I would get up on Monday morning and I would do my laundry and I would starch his shorts and his socks
1: <laughs>
0: Now that's getting my frustrations out. He doesn't know it, so he's not going to hurt me for it and I, I most of the time I had to dress him anyhow because um, he, he didn't buy clothes, he didn't do anything like that, you know. He worked he worked in the Westinghouse, he worked in the mill. And he played drums. So all he needed was some work clothes and one suit. And one suit to play drums, and I bought black so it would go for, you know, funerals, whatever. One suit, one white shirt, that's over here, you know. So when he would wake up, I would wake him up. Sometimes pour water in his ear, whatever I had to do. Because he told me I wake him up or else, you know. And I thought that's what I had to do. So I would pour water in his ear and then I would run and close the door and stand outside and hold it shut because I knew he was coming, you know. And and once I had him awake, he'd sit on the bed and I would hand him his clothes to put on. And I'd hand him these shorts. And he was... Oh, they feel a little stiff, I said. I probably didn't get the soap. out, Just, you know, if you rub them a little bit, they'll be all right. You know, and he did, and he wore them, you know. And he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know if he was going out to play a band job or if he was going to work at the mill until I dressed him. You know, I would hand him his clothes, and then he'd know where he was going. Oh, I'm putting a flannel shirt on. I must be going to work. And I hate flannel shirts. And every, every fall, I went out, and I bought him two flannel shirts, red plaid and a blue plaid. And it wasn't until I owned one that it dawned on me, I didn't have to do that. But I know why I did. They were cheap. (laughs) It was the cheapest thing I could get. And he didn't need anything but that. That's all he needed, just a couple shirts. He'd have one on, I'd take that off, put the other one on him so I could wash it, and if he was bad, I'd starch it. If he wasn't, i you know. <laughs> so, you know, what I, and something else, when I had this little girl, what I did is I, I gave birth to my only friend. That's really what happened. Because I didn't tell anybody anything that was ever going on in my home. I, I, I didn't want anybody to know. I thought I didn't want anybody to know because of him I found out when I came down on, I didn't want anybody to know, because I didn't want people to think that I was so stupid that I chose a person like this for my lifetime partner. And that's why I know that now. But I didn't know that now, and I just needed to fix him, hide him, and if you heard his story, you know he was hard to hide. Laughter I couldn't hide him. It was hard trying to drag a car seat up the sidewalk by myself to hide that. you know, and he got where he was taken. He was sick, and he was taking his brum seltzer, in, you know, and when you'd stir it i you could hear it sizzle. I could hear that forty miles away, the sizzle, and I would scream sick again, <laughs> you know so. You know, he got to, he put it in the trunk of his car in his toolbox. And when he would get sick, he would go outside and lift up. It's really it's really exciting, you know. <laughs> and we were exciting people. We were exciting. Because he was always going and I was always going after him. I was chasing him. I had this little girl, and like I said, she was my friend and She's the only one I told anything to. Uh, I never... I didn't change my clocks when the time was changed. I didn't pay attention to time because that wasn't important. And I used to send this little girl to school early, late, whichever the case may be. The janitor would keep her and give her milk and donuts and she'd come home from school and tell me this and I would be so, I'd feel so guilty, so embarrassed, so ashamed and instead of. You know, holding her and feeling bad about that, it was like, it was no big deal, so what? You know, and that was the way I, wasn't what I felt, but that's what I said. Today, uh, that'd be an awful thing. Um, when I think of it now, this little second grader alone with his janitor for an hour, and a, you know, it's, it's an awful thing for me to remember. Um, when Debbie was um, about nine years old, I guess, I, I told her, Um, Before she'd go to school in the morning, she'd say, where's daddy? Well, let me tell you about him. See them bottles of beer lined up out there in the sink? That's how many he drank last night. He had two hours sleep, and I pushed him back out the door with his lunch to work. Whether he went or not, I have no idea. And then I'd say, now you go to school. And she could never go to school, and she could never do her work. All she had to worry about was her mother and dad at home and what were they doing and what weren't they doing. Were they fighting? What was going to happen when she came home? When she was ten and a half years old, I I asked her if she thought maybe we should get a divorce or not. And she was crying. And she said, yes, Mommy, because I can't stand living here anymore. I don't like it. And I said, fine, we're going to get a divorce tomorrow. Okay. Later, she'd be crying. i said, say, what's, what's the problem now? She'd say, I don't think I want a divorce because, you know what, Daddy, um, I love him and he needs me. And uh, I'd say, yeah, fine. You know, if you want to make that decision and we're going to live like this for the rest of our lives, then we won't get that divorce. And I let her make that decision because I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I didn't know how to do anything. I was locked up in my house. I didn't work anywhere outside, thank God. I couldn't go out. I had my doors locked. I had my drapes closed. It's 90 degrees outside, and I won't let her out to play, because I don't want these neighbors seeing me, asking me questions about, like, where's Jack? He didn't come home last night. I couldn't answer it. I would have to lie, which I did a lot. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't want any parts of her going outside. I wanted her to stay in with me. And I would do things with her to keep her quiet every once in a while because I didn't want her out. I'd go to bed at night, and I would read with a flashlight because I didn't want my neighbors calling up and talking to me and wanting to come over and play cards. Or what if he would come home while they were there, you know? Everything was him, him, him. I opened my eyes in the morning. It was like, what's he going to do today? Is he going to come home? Is he going to eat with us? Is he just going to drink? Just, is the car going to be wrecked? Nothing to do with me. I was a part of him, and that's all I was concerned about was him. And I was getting myself so wrapped up in him that I, I became lost. I was lost. I was not a person anymore. And I was so afraid. I was so afraid I had... No confidence whatsoever I had a neighbor and she had nine children and I had at this time I only had the one daughter and she said to me she said now I'm gonna tell you something right here and now she said I have nine children you have one now I need a lot of help so she said now uh, I will send I used to cut her children's hair one at a time she'd send one over when it was done They'd go home, and the next one would come, and I would go through these nine children cutting their hair. I'm not even a hairdresser, but I do pretty good cutting hair, see? And it was for free. So then it came time for her to learn how to drive, and she said to me, now listen, I need to learn how to drive. Now, do you want to teach me to drive, or do you want to watch my nine kids? (laughs) So I chose the kids so I watched her nine kids while she learned how to drive I had. she told me I had a choice the kids were teaching her how to drive so that's what I chose I didn't know that I had another choice I, I thought I had to do that or she wouldn't like me you see I had to have people like me I got in trouble if I was sitting talking to you in a room and you gave me your opinion I would say oh yes I believe that wholeheartedly you are right and boy you would you know that my name should like me Norma would like me oh yes and but then another neighbor came over and her opinion was different and then it was like well if Norma wasn't there I could say oh yes I, I oh yes I believe that wholeheartedly you know and it was fine but if I got both of them in the same room I was confused because I didn't know who I should be like because I wasn't anything I I had to be what someone else was, and I didn't know who to pick. I didn't know who to choose. And I just knew that I needed people to like me. And so I would do anything and everything. She'd call me up and say, I have a basket, a bushel basket of socks in the middle of the living room floor. They are ready to be paired up. And I would run over and do her work. Because that way, she would like me. And um, that's where I ended up getting myself to be. I was really going down. Um, I was really tired by this time of being married to Jack. I didn't want to be married to him anymore. And uh, I would ask him uh, to leave. And he was very happy to leave. And then when he was done doing his thing, he'd come back. (laughs) He was just grateful that I'd say go. And this went on all the time. I would leave him. And when I would come back home, we would go have a drink to celebrate. You know, nothing made sense. Nothing made any sense in my life at all. I had sat him down to talk to him about dying. And um, I thought this kind of stuff happened at everybody's home. I I didn't know any different. Um, And I told him, you know, um, since you won't divorce me here and you won't leave... I can't find any other answer than for you to die because I had asked him for a divorce, you know. And he said to me, you know what, you will never divorce me because if you, if you leave me and get married again, he said, I'll just follow you, I'll sleep between you. Okay? So he said, don't even try it or think about it. And he said, don't think you want any other man either. He said, because you know me. He said, well, you know what, they're, all them are done the they're worse than me. <laughs> so you know I never wanted another man, so he fixed me on that too. You know, I didn't want anybody else, so he fixed that so I said there death is the answer here, and he said, You're right uh he said, But how are we going to do this and and um uh, He was afraid to do it himself because he said, you know what, if I don't do it right and I become paraplegic and you have control of me in a wheelchair, he was afraid. (laughs) He was afraid of me having complete control of him for some reason. And, you know. So, he asked me if I would do it. And, will you do it? And um, I said, no, because I'm not going to go to prison for you. I want you out of my life, but I'm not going to prison. And so um, we didn't know how to do that. So what we did is through our talk, we each went our own ways trying to figure out how we were going to get him dead, you know. (laughs) And he did come up with a plan that, you know, uh, he he said, you know, when he drives, he just like, (laughs) well, one of these days, he said, I probably will not kill myself in a car. You'll get double indemnity, and, and you know, you'll get the house, and you'll get, you know, you'll get everything. And I, I thought to myself, ooh, yes. So, <laughs> so I, I did. I, I, I got the insurance policy out, and I got all that, and I counted all this money up and thinking, how much am I going to get, you know? And um, I, I didn't, I hated that stupid car we had. You know, it had four different sized tires on it, and they were bald, and the headlights were hanging, and all those things, the seats were dry-rotted, the one was missing in the back. I didn't even want that car. I didn't even want that stupid house. Because I never even wanted to live in it to start with. I was there because they said, you live here. My mother, my father, my my in-laws, they said, you live in this house. So we moved in this house. And this house had wall-to-wall water bugs. And I didn't like it, you know. And I would have to take this blue potter and put all around my rugs to kill these water bugs. And once the water bugs were dead, then I could take the baby back out of the playpen. By this time, I had uh, we adopted this little girl. And I could put her back out, and then the bugs would come back. So she'd go back in the playpen, and there comes out the potter, you know. And so it dawned on me, I was all excited that I was going to get all these things. I didn't even want them. So, anyway, he's he's not going to go. So finally, he said to me, I'll tell you what he said, I am getting fat. You could see it. And I think what's going to happen to me is I probably soon will blow up.
1: <laughs>
0: and the only thing I had to say was to that was, please don't do it in my house because I had had so many stains from food all over my walls and that and I, I could just picture, I've seen these, these movies, you know, where someone blows up and all this stuff's all over and that's all I could picture him blowing up and messing up my house and I'd have to clean it again, you know. And, and you know what it was so crazy it was so bizarre but I didn't know it was bizarre and crazy his mother was visiting us on one of our talks now mind you she's married to an alcoholic too of course he's passed away now but uh, we're sitting there having one of our talks she's, she's talking with us like this is normal you know and she said now Jack this is his mother she said now Jack if you are going to kill yourself she said, I think you should do it soon while she's still young enough to get herself another man. So why wouldn't I think that I was doing the right thing? So I went on doing what I was doing because I was on the right path. It was evident that his mother was on my side helping me. You know, His grandmother helped me. She told me to. She said, hey, before he goes outside, why don't you just get him to eat a stick of margarine? And, you know, and his stomach will be coated and he won't be able to drink much. That's fine, but what do you do? How do you hand a drunk a stick of margarine and say, eat this? (laughs) For what? You know, I always had to have a good excuse. I had to do things sneaky with him. If he knew what I was doing, he wouldn't do it. You know, Um, and I did wait up for him. I don't care what time he came home. I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. You know, I did nothing for me. I wasn't important. I didn't exist. And so I did wait up for him till 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, whatever the case may be, to tell him he was drunk again. Because <laughs> in my thinking, if I was getting drunk every day, and somebody said to me, you know what, you're getting drunk every day. Did you notice that? And I say, Jesus, I didn't realize that. I am drinking, you know. And that's what I thought he'd finally one day say to me. Oh, man, I didn't even know I was doing this drinking like this. So that's why I waited up to tell him all the time, you know, because one day he'll hear it you know it's like I went back down on because one day I might hear it you know and that's what I thought with him so that's why I kept trying to tell him what to do and what not to do Um, we had this little girl and I really um, I believe that um, God got us in this program at the right time Uh, I hear a lot of people say, I wish I would have found this program years ago. And uh, I think that we got here when we were supposed to get here. Because we adopted this little girl. And um, she was like, she was about two years old, I guess. And um, we ended up getting in the program when she was around two years old. Uh, And I'm so happy because we had so many lives being destroyed there that we didn't need to destroy another one. So I was real glad that that happened. Jack wasn't blowing up. He wasn't wrecking his car. He wasn't dying. He wasn't going anywhere, and he wasn't doing anything, and he wasn't about to. And so I decided that I was going to kill me because I didn't want to live anymore. Not like this, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I I don't like pain, though, so I watched a lot of television to try to figure out you know, how do I do this? How do I kill myself and without hurting? So I discovered this woman, um, laid her head inside of an oven, turned the gas on. They come in, find her. She's dead. She's dead. No pain. That's what I'm going to do. My, my problem was I had two, two girls here, and two and 12... And I knew that if I tried to get their heads in the oven with me, they'd fight. And, and you see, I had a, well, that time they had the little oven. So I had a little oven, and that was my problem, this little oven. See, I couldn't leave those, I couldn't leave my children with him. He didn't, he didn't think right, you know. And so I, they were going to go with me. And what happened that night, I got some company. A man called up, and he said to me, he said, is Jack there? And I said, no. And he said, well, I'm going to go out and find him. And I said, please don't. Please don't. I said, if you find him, I want you to keep him. Don't bring him here. I don't want him. And, of course, he was drunk, too. He didn't hear me. He brings his wife down to keep me company while he goes out to find Jack. He brings her in. She's full of pills. He lays her on a couch and says, would you take care of her? So how could I kill myself? (laughs) I had to take care of this Janet person Same name as me On drugs I had to take care of her till he came back And they come back the next day And I had to get the police to take her home to her five kids And we just had a wonderful time Our marriage was great, you know Oh, just great Um, I don't know what happened to me I just, like, I didn't want to give up I, I'm one of these people, that I'm um, not a quitter, I ain't quitting, I'm going to fix this no matter what. And one day it was just too much, I just fell on the floor and I started to cry and I couldn't get off, I couldn't talk, I couldn't do anything. My 12-year-old daughter called my mother and she came, she lived 10 minutes away, now my mother doesn't know what in the world is going on here, I'm on the floor crying, I can't talk. And she gets a brown paper bag, puts clothes in for my two children. Gets me under the arms. Says, come on, stand up. She takes me home. I have chronic sobriety. She gives me two drinks. At that time, I hadn't smoked for four months because, see, when I'm at my worst, I can do anything. And so she gave me two packs of cigarettes. And I smoked and I drank. And I just sat there. And I just looked at my mother and I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do, but... I'm going to do something for me, and I'm going to do something for my girls. And that was the first time in my life that I, I thought I could do anything. I always stayed because my children needed a roof over their head, and they needed food in their mouths. Many times we didn't have enough food to put in our mouths. So, And there was many times I didn't have enough money to pay the rent And so these were lies I was telling myself. These were excuses to stay because I was so afraid. And this was when, that's the first time I let, I let go completely. That was it. I just let go. And I'd never done it before. Uh, I guess it was, oh, a month later, a month and a half. It does, time is like, you know. Uh, Jack ended up calling me and um he ended up going to AA. Now, at that time, there was no AA on television. No, I didn't know what AA was. You know, uh, what is this? You know, oh, it's going to be, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to straighten everything out. You know, this time it's going to be different. You know what? I heard that a million times. I, what makes this so different? Um, but it turned out that it was different. And I can't explain it to you. You know already I don't have to. There's a look in the eyes. When he would come home from a meeting, his eyes were different. And that's. I knew this time it was going to be different. And, of course, I was elated now. He's not drinking. This is marvelous. You just keep going to that AA thing. And as soon as you get sober... Then we'll get back to being married. That's what I thought. When I go to AA meeting with him, I was invited after three weeks. And uh, someone asked me about Al-Anon. And um, I just assumed that if you were married to an alcoholic, you went to Al-Anon. So I went to Al-Anon. And I thought, now I have a lot to give these people. (laughs) I have a sober husband three weeks now you know and I know they're going to ask me how did I do that you know uh, uh. and you know that the worst part of it is that's exactly what happened to me I went to my first meeting and it wasn't in the church and the janitor told me they moved it to a house. And I went to the house and there was two women. And I walked in and they said, is your husband sober? I said, yes. They said, how did you do that? <laughs> and, I, and you know what I thought? This is wrong. That's what I felt. This is wrong. And so I left there. And I started going to... Another meeting started. And I went to that meeting and... It was a real meaning. It was like they read things there, you know. And um, they read the steps and they read the traditions and they did those things there. And I, I thought, wow, this is real. But the only thing is, is these people were, they don't know. That's steps and traditions. That's for people who drank. And they didn't even know that these silly people are sitting here reading those things, you know. And I thought, well, you know what, I'm probably around longer than all of them. And I'll just let them go for a while, and we'll see what happens, you know. And, um, oh, my. And I, uh, the man that um, I talked to about that is I told him, I said, you know, I said, I don't need to work these steps because there's, there's nothing wrong with me. It's all him, and, you know, if he stops his drinking and he stops doing all those things that he does when he drinks, we'll be all right. But I don't need these steps. I don't need any of this stuff. And he said to me, he said, you're unique. And I said, I know that. <laughs> but I didn't, I was so grateful somebody else recognized it for the very first time. <laughs> I didn't need to work them steps. He said, you like our slogans? They're all right. He said, I'll do them tonight. He said, no, just try one, you know. And that's how I started, you know, in my program. I really didn't believe that there was anything wrong with me. It was him. It was all him. I went to Illinois because I wanted Illinois to teach me how to keep him sober, so that then we could, I could get him out of AA. Then, you know, like in the movies, you could hold hand and walk off into the sunset. And that's what I thought would be. That's what we were going to do, or that's what I was going to do. You know, I don't always tell him what I'm going to do. <laughs> so this is what the plan was, see. And so I was going to continue going there until they gave me this magic answer on how to take him out of there and fix him and keep him that way and be happy. And that's why I kept going back there and that's the only reason. I knew, when I, I knew when they first read the first step, we admitted we were proudest over alcohol. I thought that meant Jack and I had to do that together, see? And I thought he'll never admit that. He'll never admit that, so we might as well quit now. You know my mind was so mixed up, so confused, so confused. Um, one of the big fear one of the big fears that I had uh, i had well I was afraid of everything and everybody, and I was afraid of things i didn 't even know what I was afraid of, but I was always afraid of not having enough toilet paper in my house <laughs> because I watched a lot of television, and these people used catalogs, and I thought, "Oh, you know what?" To not have toilet paper and to put my children to bed with bugs, that's the lowest. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And that was two things that I worried about. I have so much toilet paper. I have a lot all the time in my house. Everybody laughs, laughs at me. But when toilet paper is on sale, I come home with arm loads of it, And I always have plenty. And usually I know how many are there. But we have company now, and I'm not sure how many Sarah, but usually I have at least 40 rolls. At least. <laughs> and I feel rich. I feel so rich. And I, I heard, I, in, as long as I've been in the program, I've only heard one other person speak about toilet paper. And I was glad to meet her. <laughs> But that I, would, I needed to have that toilet paper. I feel good with a lot of toilet paper. It's not asking too much, is it? You know, give her a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> oh. I kept going back to meetings, thank God. And um, I started to hear some things that like I didn't like because they pertain to me. And I couldn't understand why I would go into a meeting and come out feeling worse than when I went in. I hated that. I'd go to a meeting and I'd ask a question, that would say, keep coming back, and I would pound my fist on the table and say, what for? You don't tell me anything when I'm here, why should I come back? You don't have anything to say. I was cynical by this time. I didn't love anything, anybody. I didn't trust anybody. I was so cynical. You know, don't be tell me, I don't believe anything and it was so hard for me. I had to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming so this stuff could sink in. They used to tell me, just bring the body as long as it's warm and it's breathing. Put it in a chair. If you can't do anything, something will happen to that body. You know? And I believe that's what happened to me because I I fought it. I fought it. I wanted him. I didn't want to do that work. That's a lot of work to work this program. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. And I had to do a lot of work, and I didn't want to do that. I fought it as long as I could. I fought it, but I didn't have anywhere else to go. Nobody else wanted me. Eleanor kept saying, Coming back, you're going to be okay no matter what, and we love you. And even when I was snarked, they still said, We love you anyway, because we understand. And I said, No, you don't. Of course, you don't understand. And they'd just sit there with these big grins on their face, you know, and, and say, yes, we do, you know. And I knew that if they were married to him, they would under, they, they'd see that I couldn't work this program, you know. And I think one of the reasons I kept coming back is because I knew eventually they would say to me, you know what, in your case, hit the road, it don't work for you. <laughs> I believed that. I really did. The first year of Jack's sobriety was the worst year of our marriage, the, wor- the very worst. Uh, and Because I, I was trying so hard to work this program, he was trying hard to work his. So I was trying to find myself, and he was trying to find himself, and I was trying to find him, and he was trying to find me. And then we get this 12-year-old who the, the kid needs help so desperately, and believe you me, neither one of us could talk to her because we already messed her up bad. I drug her to Alteen. Right away, she didn't like it. But uh, you know what? I forced her. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to do. It worked. She turned around. She liked it. So now here's this kid. She's trying to find herself, and she's trying to find her appearance. And we would sit around that dinner table, and we would discuss things like we would, well, you know what? We're all around here about six months now. We, th- we thought we could take each other's inventory and help each other. <laughs> And we did it. And and it didn't work. If you're thinking about trying it, 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 like, didn't work. Jack and I fought every day the first year. Every day. Every day. Dinner time was never good. Food never just, like, went on. It just... We just didn't... We had a fight at dinner time. Because somebody didn't like peas. Somebody didn't like corn. Somebody like And we'd fight. And so... I fixed that because, so what I did is I'd call an Illinois member in the morning and I'd say, this is what I have in the freezer, what should I fix for dinner? And she'd say, take, no, fix pork chops. Fine. Okay, what kind of potatoes? I have peas, I have corn. Fix that. Fine. The next day we'd sit down to dinner. I don't like corn. Well, call Dorothy. (laughs) And every single day, I would get my hands. I'm washing those dishes, and he'd pace the floors, telling me that if I don't stop drinking, if I don't stop fighting with him, he's gonna get drunk. And every time he'd say that, my stomach would tighten up like a knot, and I'd get sick. So, well, what do you do? You go back down on, and you tell them because all the things that I tried didn't work. They told me to tell him the next time he said that, there's the door. Don't let it hit you in the ass on the way out. If you want to drink, go drink. Oh, wow, when they said that, I thought, I can't do that. Oh, God, I was sick. You don't know what happens when he drinks. Oh, my God. You know what? I was willing to do anything if he didn't drink oh please and so they reminded me all the times that he said that i told him through the years not to drink what did he do oh he drank all right the next day here it is again and i thought i have to say it i have to say it and all i was so scared and i got it up i said there's the door don't let it hit you in the ass on the way out. If you want to drink, drink. It's your decision. He stopped dead in his tracks. <laughs> it was so wonderful. No. And he just walked right over to me, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he glared. And his eyes got real big, you know. And he said, nobody can make me drink if I don't want to. And a. S- <laughs> <laughs> And and then he said, and especially you. <laughs> and you know, I was so excited on the inside, I had to bite my lip so that I wouldn't smile or jump up and down, you know. Because oh, it worked. It just worked. And And you know what, when that works you're willing to go back and say, tell me what else to do, you know? <laughs> so it's like, oh, hey, daily phone calls. Hey, as many as I needed, tell me what to do next, because that worked. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. I can remember jumping up from the dinner table, pointing my finger at him and screaming, I am detaching from you, so shut up. I'm leaving and wa-, you know, <laughs> walk away. And, and like I had to do what I had to do to get it. You know, and that's the kind of things I had to do, but it started it's, those things worked for me, and it felt so good. It felt so good that I wanted to do it more, I wanted to go back more. Um, I think he was sober about four months, I guess, and um, we had uh, a murder suicide in our family, and it was like, oh, you know, before when he was drinking, I had one problem: he was drinking. that's all. I didn't see anything else around me. I didn't care about anything else. And this was my little cousin. She was 21. She was my baby. And uh, her husband killed her. And then he turned a gun on him and killed himself. He couldn't live with her, he said. He couldn't live without her. He lived long enough to go into the operating room. And that's what he said. I couldn't live with her, and I couldn't live without her. And I loved her, and no one else was going to have her. And she told me that because I, I, she sat there for a couple of years and I said, honey, how long are you going to sit here? You know, why don't you divorce him? You're so young. And she said, if he sees in that paper, he'll kill me, Janet. Well, I said, oh, you know. Well, I don't take that lightly anymore. <laughs> if somebody says that to me, no way. Because I've heard it a million times. I can't live with her and I can't live without her. And it happens. And it happened in my own family. So I don't take that lightly anymore at all. And never do I ever say, I want you to divorce. <laughs> I don't give advice. You don't give advice in this program, and they don't give you any either. And that's what makes it so great. Um, I learned how to deal with those kind of things, though, because I was given what I needed here, and that's a lot of strength. I remember a man talking about one time, he was talking to another man, and I heard him say that he felt all the time like he had, inside his body, he felt like he had these two dogs fighting all the time. And the other guy laughed, and he says, who's who's winning? And he said, well, it just depends on which dog I I feed. So it depends on which dog I feed, whether I have a positive attitude or a negative attitude. It's all... Everything that's wrong is me, it's in here, it's in here. I could do so much damage with this thing right here that it's unbelievable what I could do with that. I could make myself or I could break myself and I know that because I've done it. I've done it. Um, this little girl um, that I, I raised to be my friend, Debbie, the got her in our team and um, she got out of teen, she got married early also, and she got married and she was away from the program, uh, I guess 10 years, and she lost it. She lost the program and she kept calling me every day wanting me to do something for her. Will you babysit for me? Will you take me to the store? Will you? And that was her way of me showing her that I loved her. And I knew that. And when I, I couldn't say no, but I needed to say no, I had to call someone in Illinois and tell them, and they'd say, you're going to have to start telling her no. And I didn't like doing that because then she didn't like me. And her and I had a lot of problems because somehow her father became a competition thing between her and I. And it was like um, she would cook dinner. It would be like, mine's better than hers, right, Dad? And it was a terrible, it got real bad between her and I. And uh, I couldn't talk to her anymore. And then when she got away from the program, it was really nasty. When she was in Alateen, it was all right. And then it all came back. And for 10 years, it was like that. And uh, she started to get real negative and, uh, oh, a mess. And I didn't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. All I know is program. And so I went up to her house, and she was on the couch, and I, I kicked the couch. I said, get up. Get up off there. We're going to a meeting. You know, we're going to a meeting. Um, She did go to a meeting. She did go to Illinois for two weeks, and we found out what her problem was, was leukemia. It wasn't anything to do with being depressed. She was sick. I uh, The first thing I did when that happened is I, I called program people. I called Illinois, I called AA, and they took over. Um... She had to have white blood cells, and that's different than just giving blood. And uh, they said, explain to people, you take pills, it takes an hour and a half, and and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and she had R.H. blood, which also was very difficult. And so I had these primary people out there, and they're making all these phone calls because I couldn't do that. I was sitting... I was uh, taking care of everything else. My mother chose to drink at that time. My son-in-law was using drugs at that time. My grandchildren were four and eight. Debbie wanted me at the hospital all the time. And Jack was going to meetings so he could stay sober. And I was crazy again. Um, But you know, people were there for me all the time. And the blood bank called me, and they asked me, if I would please stop sending people down there <laughs> for this Debbie, you know, because they said they had never gotten so many people to give white blood cells before. And they said, I don't know, if you know anyone else who's thinking about coming, please tell them not to. And she said, we have never had to do this before to tell somebody to stop sending. And that's, that's the program. Debbie's here today. That's 10 years. It's 10 years. Everybody in her path along the way has died. This whole 10 years. Everybody. She's the only one left. She is the doctor's, her doctor's prime example. He is our, he's like our family, you know. And he sends her to hospitals. To talk to people like her who don't want to take the treatment, so she's in on and she's going doing this too. And uh, the doctor told her two months ago, and I could, I ooh, I got chills. I don't even want to say it, but I'm going to say it. He told her that she doesn't have leukemia anymore. <laughs> that's it she doesn't have it he said and I don't mean remission either I mean you don't have it he said had your favorite word he said so learn how to spell it well because that's what you had I can't say anything else about that Um, I don't have to this little girl we adopted she was two years old and that's what I mean we didn't need to ruin the alcoholism didn't need to ruin this little girl And she was raised by program people. She had them in and out of the house all the time. She went to meetings. She heard them and It was a full house, full house with all these people all the time. And she loved it. She got to know them all. They were her uncles, her aunts, her best friends, you know. She was able to go to school. She was able to do what she had to do, what she was supposed to do. And she didn't have to worry about her mom and dad at home. This kid got straight A's. The first daughter quit school to get married. This daughter, we can't get her out of school. <laughs> she won't quit. She said she's going to go to college. Well, wait a minute. This is special. I mean, we never had, we were lucky we had people graduating from high school, let alone go to college. She's the first one in our family to go to college. And so, you know, we uh, had a little problems with money during the drinking years you know and so I did go to work after a couple of years I was able because of al and I could open the doors and I could go outside I could talk to people and um so I did I went out and I went to work to help her go to school and her fourth year she went to Pitt she said I think I'm going to go for my master's <gasps> I said oh i I didn't want to tell her not to but it was like this is unbelievable and my legs hurt from being a waitress she said don't worry about it, mom I'll take care of it myself well you know what too many years I have heard that from too many people don't worry about it I'll take care of it you know and she did she won a fellowship and she got school for seven years paid for down there and, she, and, they, and they paid her every month to live there and so she went down there, and she got her master's, and we got this certificate in the mail to the scholarship family. You are just such wonderful parents. All children should have parents like you. <laughs> the world would be a better place. <laughs> oh, can you believe if they only knew where we come from? Oh. It's hanging on the wall. It's hanging up. It's hanging up. And you know, years ago, I wanted really, really bad to know every place Jack was. Every movie he made and what he was doing, what he wasn't doing, who he was talking to, who he was singing. I want to know this. It's important. And he wouldn't tell me, of course, and I couldn't find him all the time. I couldn't keep up with him. I'd chase him, steal the car. i think that'll do it, you know. He called the police. I, they give him. They're going to arrest me because I stole my own car, you know. And I wanted to know where he was. And uh, when we took this little girl, I call her a little girl. She's 27 now. She's not so little. But When we first took her down to Washington University and left her, I was suffering that empty nest thing. It was killing me. I was hurting inside so bad. And at the same time. The plant that where Jack worked after 27 years closed, and he lost his job. And you know what? It was wonderful for us because I could understand how he felt, and he understood how I felt because we both lost our jobs. And now what, you know? And so for the next couple years, it was like regrouping, and we spent a lot of time together. We watched a lot of movies on our VCR and and it was real good because we, we stuck together and it's so much different than years ago because then it, uh, we pushed each other away but we stuck together and it was good. He had to go back to plumbing school and he passed his test. He's now a master plumber two and a half years and, uh, he went into business and he does the work. I run the office. I'm the office manager. <laughs> and I, I tell him what to do. I tell him where to go. <laughs> oh, it's just, he has to check in with me often. <laughs> <laughs> and let me know what job he just finished and where he's going, you know. And I, I, oh, God does have a sense of humor because that is, you know, I have exactly what I prayed for a long time ago and now I don't want it. <laughs> so, it, it's, but it's great. We have, we also have, a, he didn't mention, we also have a, a 15-year-old grandson too and he's a, he's, he's, he's a cutie. We do have a nice family. We get along real well. Um, the only two people that we have that aren't in a program, we each have a 73-year-old mother. And um, we left them this weekend to take care of one another. Um, <laughs> you know, His mother came from Chicago to visit us. And conveniently, while she was here, her brother lives here, and he died. He had a massive stroke, and so um, we had a funeral to do before we came here, and we missed the fun- actual funeral we missed because it was on Friday and we had to leave. So we left my mother take care of his mother, and they're both sick, and they're sick in different ways, and I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> when we go back home, but we will find out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to close here, and I just want to... Uh, Close with a little story that um, I always like stories. They always helped me um, in the program, and I don't know if you ever heard. It's like um, it's a little story about Easy Does It. It's about a couple frogs, um, and a couple uh, a farmer was out in his barn and he was milking his cows and uh, getting his buckets of milk. And his wife called him for dinner, and he left one bucket of milk there and forgot it. So meanwhile, a couple frogs come along and they jump in the bucket and they start, you know, swimming. The one is frantic, scared to death, and the other one's going real slow and doing just fine. The next morning, the farmer comes out, and on top of the bucket of milk is this little frog sitting on a lump of butter. And so he dumps the bucket out, and the frog that was on the lump of butter playfully runs away. And at the bottom of the bucket, out comes the dead frog. And uh, so the moral of that story is that I have to continuously take it easy and do what I'm supposed to do so that I could always churn a lump of butter for myself so that I can save me. I need that butter. And I hope for you the same so that you can churn your own lump of butter too. Thank you.